Sellers, you have landed on episode number 132 of eBay the Right Way. Today's date is September 27th, 2023. This is a group effort podcast with four jewelry specialists discussing their best tips and advice about reselling jewelry. If you're like me, and feel a bit overwhelmed by the whole jewelry category, what to look for out in the wild, what sells, and how to get started, you will love this episode. So, here we go. Hello, I'm Wendy in Connecticut. I've been selling costume jewelry since the fall of 2017. Here are some suggestions if you're interested in selling or collecting costume jewelry. Uh, I started getting into selling uh, primarily because we've been selling our parents' things since 2013. My mom was an antiques collector, and she was also an authority on samplers. Our childhood home was filled to the brims, but I needed another product to sell that I was a, that I was passionate about to balance things out. And one of my jobs when I was younger, this was on Christmas break from college, was selling costume jewelry at Bloomingdale's. I, I still have the B pin we used to wear every day. <laughs> My grandmother also collected costume jewelry, and I just really love the sparkle and whimsy of pieces. Um, I am very much a niffler. You might be wondering what a niffler is. <laughs> well, if you've uh, seen the Fantastic Beasts, uh, you know that um, it's one of the magical creatures. And so the niffler is really cute. It's brown and furry, and it's attracted to anything sparkly and shiny. So that is me. <laughs> Uh, so the type of jewelry I specialize in is uh, primarily costume jewelry and silver. Um, I am interested in selling gold and fine jewelry, but there is a learning curve for fine jewelry. I do sell scarves and accessories as well. Um, I mainly buy signed pieces, but there are many unsigned pieces that are beautiful and can be worth quite a bit of money and are made by well-known designers of the day. Um, There are so many costume jewelry designers, both past and present, that it is an ongoing learning process. And I think that is the case for anything you're interested in. One is always a student. Um, as far as what sells best for me, um, I find as a jewelry seller, you find what works best for you. There are contemporary companies like Banana Republic who have nice jewelry, but it doesn't sell well for me. It just sits. Obviously, if you price it low enough, it'll go, but um, it might sell well for another seller. Um, another brand like Carolee, they've been making jewelry for a long time. Um, they make lovely pieces, but I don't know. I, I've bought their stuff. I think it's beautiful. It just doesn't doesn't move for me. So I personally just pick things I really love and resonate with. Um, some of my favorite designers are Kenneth J. Lane, Goldette, Florenza, Joan Rivers, MMA, which is the Metropolitan Museum of Art, and there's other museum replica pieces as well. Um, I do think J. Crew makes very quality contemporary costume jewelry. I've been quite impressed by the construction and design of many of their pieces, and I think you know, 10 to 20 years from now will become collectible. Um, of course, I'd love to just find the high-end designers like Chanel, YSL, Lagerfeld, Dior, Gucci, Coach, Hermes, etc. Um, so what exactly do I look for as far as brands? Um, well, as a seller, you develop an eye for your specialty. So things I bought years ago, I might not buy today. Um, I, I'm always refining my taste. I tend to buy signed pieces, but there are many wonderful unsigned pieces. So don't limit yourself. Um, marks can be very small, so bring a loop or magnifying glass with you. I actually tend to take off my glasses a lot to look at marks up close. Um, as far as what I look for, it really comes down to um, the design and quality. Um, is the piece hard to find? Is it unique looking? I love animal-themed jewelry, charm bracelets, um, Egyptian revival, Art Nouveau and Art Deco style pieces, uh, unique pieces. Um, I really like mid-century Scandinavian pewter jewelry, which I don't find very often. And I think that's the influence of my mom or our parents. We had a lot of Scandinavian design in our house growing up. Um, my dad kind of worked in advertising in sort of that Mad Men era. And we had a lot of this uh, Scandinavian furniture designers. I had dollar horses in my window. <laughs> 
Uh, we had Scandinavian ornaments. It's just a lot of Scandinavian influence. Um, personally, I buy a lot of heraldry type jewelry for myself that I don't resell. Um, that's just my one of the things I like to collect. Um, I do tend to gravitate more towards gold tone jewelry, but I do buy silver tone jewelry and that, that sells as well. But I find that I move more gold tone jewelry, but that might be more because I'm buying more of it. I don't know. <laughs> um, as far as brands, uh, there are so many vintage and contemporary designers and many I've not even discovered yet. So this is hard to narrow down to a short list. Um, some of my favorites are Kenneth J. Lane, Goldette, Florenza, Joan Rivers, MMA, Joseph of Hollywood, and Askew London, both of which I've never bought pieces of because they're on the higher end. And I just, I don't find them at resale value. I could buy them to collect for myself, but as far as reselling, I, I can't get them for the price I'd want them. But I, I love jewelry from both those companies. Um, vintage Christian Dior, Givenchy, Anne Klein, uh, Pierre Cardin, who didn't make a lot of jewelry, but I do like the pieces he did make. Boucher, Boucher, sorry. Jomaz, Hopi, Hattie Carnegie, Mimi Denasimi, Van Dome, and Camrose and Cross, which is replica Jackie Kennedy jewelry. And that's a really good one to keep an eye out for. It's usually signed JBK. Um, and it comes in these blue boxes with these on that doesn't always, it should, if the person's kept everything that has an authenticity card and a, a little details on what event she wore it to, et cetera. But Camrose and Cross, because of the Jackie Kennedy effect, even now, people still really love you know, her, her jewelry and her style. So that is, I think, always going to be popular and the pieces were well made. So definitely keep an eye out for that. Um, De Pissal Silvestri, which is a Canadian, uh, couple kind of, uh, kind of in the sixties, I think that we're making sort of enamel style jewelry. Um, and Donald Stannard. Those are just a few. There's so many more, but <laughs> it could take 15 minutes just naming jewelry designers. Uh, so anyway, uh, what are some of my best jewelry sales? Um, this year I sold a $300 Hobie Christmas tree brooch. I paid, I think $10 for it in the state sale. Um, it was really pretty. It had, uh, it was gold tone with a uh, green set rhinestones and these little red dangles. Um, and I'll just do this year and last year because I, 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 can't find my information from farther back. Um, last year, the necklace I spoke about on your podcast, the Elizabeth Taylor for Avon Shaw Jahan necklace, I sold for $3.95. I think I paid $40 at a consignment store for it. And the funny thing is, as I mentioned on the podcast, is that the woman sold jewelry. She tended to deal in more fine jewelry, but she didn't realize what she had. Um, a Tiffany and Co heart necklace I sold for $3.85. It was a direct purchase from a Facebook post of a guy who runs estate sales and posted that he was selling them. Um, I can't recall what I paid. I think it was about $50 because I bought two pieces. Um, a Pierre Cardin necklace for $3.61. I sold that for and I paid $20 for it in a consignment store. That did take a little while to sell though. I kind of held out because it was one of those pieces that I don't find his jewelry very often. So I'm, I, I hold out on harder to find pieces or designers that I just think the right person will come along. Um, some people might want to move things faster, but for me, when I found these harder to find unique pieces, I'm just waiting for the right person. <laughs> um, and my top scarf sale was 327. It was a Kentucky Derby scarf, uh, that I paid $3 for at an annual clothing sale. Um, how did I learn about selling jewelry? Um, this really was just by selling, which I think everything is just jump into it and you'll figure it out. <laughs> you'll make mistakes, you'll learn. Um, but, and so one of the first things I learned was not to sell on Shopify. I think Shopify is a great uh, platform, but I didn't have an audience. So I was like, I want to sell on my own platform. So I started on Shopify, which was a disaster. I had no audience to direct to my store. It's great if you're established, have a mailing list, strong Instagram account, or do lots of shows somewhere where you've built up a mailing list. I also launched on Etsy around the same time. That was uh, July of 2017. And I think my first sale on Etsy was in September. So it wasn't quick. Um, I think Etsy is a great platform, but the search is horrible. I'm not really sure how anybody finds things on there. Um, I primarily sell on eBay and some contemporary jewelry on Poshmark. I don't think I started eBay till the fall of 2017. So I actually started on eBay last. Um, since eBay is the largest platform worldwide, you can't beat the traffic. And about 15 to 20% of my business is international. Um, as far as resources, I've bought quite a few jewelry books at estate sales and book sales. 
and in all honesty, I've not had the time to read them. I primarily learn about jewelry online. Um, I've bought many books. Um, I have many bookmarks like costumejewelrycollectors.com, which they used to host an annual costume jewelry conference. They don't anymore, but they have a great costume jewelry marks guide, which you can bookmark. And it's like A to Z. So you can look up hallmarks and it'll give you a little bit of information and they'll have little photos of the hallmark. Um, another one, which I'll spell out, nasvet.com, N-A-S-V-E-T-E.com. I, I, I think they're European, um, website, but they've basically cataloged all these vintage jewelry companies. So really more details on the companies, which can sometimes be hard to find. So I do like them a lot. Um, and there are many good YouTube channels. Um, but unfortunately, I find the focus and popularity is around goodwill and thread up unboxings. And I just I don't really have the time to spend to watch somebody unbox something for an hour to two hours. And they sell as well. I mean, it's very profitable. Many just sell what they're unboxing. So I get it. It's it's <laughs> it sales at the same time. I just I don't have the bandwidth and time to kind of do that. But I understand why they're so popular. Um, I would recommend Hudson Vintage on YouTube. She has a really strong knowledge of costume jewelry, and she also really uh, goes into all the different places she gets them from. Um, as far as Facebook groups, I belong to Texas Gal Jewelry Lovers, which is a great resource with members um, having a lot of knowledge. It's a huge membership there, quite a lot of members in there. And another group called, I think it's called Vintage and Antique Costume Jewelry Identify Study and Share Group. Um, and that's a really good resource too. Um, as far as returns, I don't get very many, maybe one per year. And they, they've tended to be earrings or, or something else. Maybe somebody misjudged the size, even though I wrote the size or tried to do a scale photo. Still, sometimes you get returns. So really like one a year, two max. Um, and I did ship the wrong thing. <laughs> thing this year I, I had two angel brooches and I went to grab and I grabbed the wrong one so that was my error um, and as far as buying things online, such as Goodwill, um, other um, auction houses, um, I did do that prior to the pandemic. I bought more online. Everyone kind of moved to buying online during that time and deals were harder to find. Um, Shop Goodwill gets some great jewelry, but there are so many buyers and I don't have the patience to look through all the listings at this point. Um, you can do keyword searches and I did save those for for specific designers. Um, there is another platform called Auction Ninja, which was actually started here by an auction house in Connecticut, but it has expanded to sellers across the US. So it may be in like, I don't know, maybe 10 to 20 states. Um, so you may want to check that out and see if there's any sales near you. Um, I used to buy quite a bit on there, but it's no longer a secret and prices can have gotten too high really for resale. Um, I did find two amazing lots, though, uh, local auctions, and one did happen to be on Auction Ninja prior to the pandemic. The lot was not photographed well, so that was in my best interest and did not have a very good description. So it's really a matter of zooming in on the photos, fuzzy photos and figuring it out. I think I paid around 40 to $50. It had an 18 karat gold brooch and some other nicer jewelry pieces. I made over $1,000 on sales from that. And there was another lot of vintage jewelry I bought several years ago. Um, it was all mint condition, new old stock. So like mint Monet Trafari looked like it just came out of the store. Um, so it was all very clean energy, not something that had been in somebody's house. It looked like it just been, I don't know, came out of a box somewhere. I think I paid around $125 or so and made over $1,000 in sales. Um, and as far as final thoughts, um, I do want to mention I primarily buy in person now. There is no shortage of jewelry in this area, and I prefer to see pieces in person to see the condition. I still buy things um, that are missing stones even in person, but it's much easier to see if a piece is damaged or if there's some other issue with it. But I still make mistakes in person, so it's not foolproof. But my preference is to buy in person. Um, so really, based on your location and access to jewelry, you have to decide what works best for you. Is that buying online? Is that going to estate sales and thrift stores It's a or is it a combination? And ultimately, for me, it's also about establishing relationships. I am nice to everyone. I never ask for a discount, which may sound surprising. But I think because we've been on both sides of the fence, we have sold our parents things, we've hosted our own estate sales. Um, you really have to make things fair for resellers. But at the same time, resellers can't expect to get everything for nothing. You know, people come to our estate sales that just want stuff for themselves or not reselling it. And so one of my best jewelry hauls came because I was pre-invited to an estate sale. He liked that my sister and I don't haggle, that we are easy to work for. So he reached out to us and I just got like the most amazing jewelry. So <laughs> that'll be my, my final word of wisdom there. And uh, so thank you.
I uh, hope you enjoyed this uh, interview and were able to get some uh, information and beneficial points from it. Thanks. Bye. Hi, this is Lisa in Oregon. I started selling on eBay in 1997 when eBay was still fairly new. I began as a buyer and pretty quickly realized that I could parlay my love of vintage items and antique sales and uh, garage sales into supplementing my regular job income. I was a single mom at the time and had just bought my first desktop computer with a dial-up modem, so it was very slow, and eBay servers were very unreliable. They went down frequently. This was a time when eBay only did auction format, so if buyers really wanted something, they took a chance if they tried to place their bids at the last minute. They pretty much had to bid earlier. There were no sniping services either, and auctions were consequently a lot more lucrative then. I remember the very first time I sold something on eBay, I had taken it out of a local auction box lot, a vintage men's tie clip with a domed glass bubble and a a fishing fly inside. I must have checked that listing multiple times a day. And it finally sold for around $12, which wasn't a huge sale, but it was enough to get me hooked, so to speak, Uh, especially when I realized that a few of these sales could cover a grocery run or a utility bill. I initially tried selling different items, but I just didn't have the space or the time or energy to be storing and shipping great big items. So I settled on jewelry as being the most practical. And it didn't take me long to really develop an appreciation for the construction and the craftsmanship and the artistry of vintage items. I was able to get quite a few things from the local auction house. At the time, there was a lady that was trying to sell off a huge family collection, and she was consigning things bit by bit to this auction house, including a lot of vintage plastics like Bakelite and celluloid. And I made my share of mistakes. I was pretty naive, and when I bid on things, I didn't realize that there were members in the audience shill bidding against me. It took me a while to figure that one out. But once I did and I got a little smarter, this lady eventually approached me privately after the auction, and she and I agreed to work together. So I was able to do more consignment work directly with her, and that gave me an opportunity to start learning about different jewelry. I did get some returns in the beginning, um, almost always due to my not knowing how to properly describe something and correctly date something. So I decided that the best thing to do was try to educate myself. I signed up for an email group called Jewel Collect. This was before social media, so it was all email-based. And I also bought a lot of costume jewelry identification and reference books. Um, I've always considered the money spent on educational materials to be a good investment. Um, Knowledge is golden. The books helped me learn the ropes. They taught me the nomenclature for how to describe something, what to look for in terms of quality and style. There were collectible unsigned designer pieces. Costume jewelry was often sold like with a tag as the only designer identification. So you went to the department store, you bought this beautiful designer piece, and you went home and you take off the tag. So years later, it might be hard to identify who made that piece unless you happen to know the design characteristics. It used to be that a lot of costume jewelry dealers would look for the big names, the high-end names like Eisenberg, Trafari, uh, Miriam Haskell, but even lower-end everyday jewelry such as Sarah Coventry, uh, Avon, and Napier has also found a following. And in recent years, costume jewelry, especially some of the the beautifully constructed art glass and rhinestone brooches have found a following in Asia. I'm getting a lot of buyers from Asia who uh, have they learned to use the, the 
shipping services that are based in the U.S. So that makes the transactions a lot easier for all of us. But they've developed a real following. Over the years, um, a lot of identification and reference books have been published in every category imaginable. So you do need to be a bit discerning. There have been some misattributions of unmarked pieces in these books. Some books are just pictorials of the author's personal collection and no solid research really behind it. So if you find reference books that include their research, that could be vintage advertisements, um, pages from manufacturers, catalogs, design patent information, all of this is good background for providing provenance and identifying specifically what you have. Now, the other thing to really watch for is that there are a lot of knockoffs and mass-produced versions of designs out there. In this day of social media, there are some really great groups on Facebook with very helpful and knowledgeable people. They can help you figure out what you have, how to describe a piece. Sometimes they can tell you if you have an obvious knockoff. Uh, one really good group is called the Antique and Vintage Jewelry Detectives. Uh, another group that is broader based and has to do just with any type of antique and vintage item is called the Antique and Vintage Identification Enthusiasts. But they do have a lot of members who know about jewelry. I buy jewelry from a variety of sources including garage sales, estate sales, rummage sales, flea markets, antique shops and shows, and, and of course, eBay. While I have found some pieces at thrift stores, it's rare. I seem to find pretty much new junk in the showcases, although you never know. I always look because you never know what there might be. But eBay is a good source for me. A lot of sellers are generalists, so they don't often know about their jewelry specifically. They don't always take clear photographs, so I can flip some things. I bought lots on eBay, but you have to be careful because some of these jewelry lots are pretty junky and overpriced. Um, and unlike buying in person, you don't get the chance to inspect items personally. At least eBay has improved the return process, so if you do get stuck with something, um, well, you won't get stuck with something. You can return it, which has happened to me in the early days. I I was stuck with something. My best sale ever was an eBay flip. The Buy It Now feature was pretty new at the time. Uh, I was browsing the newly listed Buy It Nows and saw a beautiful jelly belly fur clip in the shape of a seahorse. Now, a fur clip is kind of like a brooch, except that instead of a pin mechanism, it has a hinge with a couple of very sharp prongs and that could be really used as a weapon. But they were meant to secure a, a fur or he another heavy type garment. And in the 1940s, which we think of as the golden era of costume jewelry, there are a lot of, of fun designs for fur clips and jelly bellies, which means that the clear lucite dome was inserted into the center of the piece, often the belly area if it was a figural. Trafari and Coro did a lot of these jelly bellies, but this seahorse was a rare design by a maker called Leo Glass. Glass was the last name, and he was only in business for a relatively short period of time. The seahorse also had uh, a representation of coral at the base, which was metal, enameled in a beautiful coral color. Uh, it, there was a tiny chip in the enamel, but other than that, I mean, the piece looked to be in spectacular condition. I bought it for $50 and flipped it on eBay. I ran an auction, and it ended up fetching over $1,500. It went to a dealer based in New York City, and I'm sure that person resold it for a higher price because it ultimately showed up in a costume jewelry reference book. That was the American Costume Jewelry by Carla and Roberto Brunialti. 
I knew it was my piece when I looked at it because it had the very same little chip in the very exact spot that mine did. And also because of my affiliation with the Jewel Collect organization, I have also ended up selling other pieces to reference book writers. Another good flip was a Marcel Boucher enameled cherries pen, which I bought for $21 and sold for $588, another eBay auction. In that case, the original seller didn't recognize the maker's mark on the back. Uh, He had described it, and I immediately knew what the mark was. I'd also once had a friend who consigned some family jewelry to me. He was a stamp dealer and knew nothing about jewelry, and he was pretty clear that if I would sell these pieces, he would be perfectly happy with whatever I could get for them. Uh, One of these pieces was a gorgeous Scandinavian modernist silver necklace by George Jensen, who was an arts and crafts era artist whose work is sought after. Now, I first sold it on eBay auction for around $900, and that buyer ended up returning it. It turns out that there was either some missing link or some type of repair. I'm not sure exactly what the problem was, but it was something I hadn't even noticed. And fortunately, the buyer was really nice about it. He explained exactly what the problem was, and he didn't assume that I was out to scam him. He just explained that while the necklace wouldn't work for him, he was sure that somebody would still want it, and even with the defect disclosed. So when he returned it, I ran it again as an auction, and I disclosed the issue in full. And the auction still ended up around, I don't know, $700, $800, something like that. When I shop for jewelry, I look for the quality of the construction and the condition. I look for interesting themes or designs. I, I rarely get returns since I do try very hard to provide good pictures and describe things carefully. I also package my items super carefully so they don't get damaged in shipping. I wrap them in tissue paper or thin bubble wrap so the various components can't knock against each other because that's the quickest way to jar stones loose or chip the enamel or what have you. Um, Then I always box them up with enough padding to completely immobilize the item. I don't just stuff them in a a bubble mailer. The rare return that I still get might be because the size or the color just doesn't work for the buyer. So quality and condition often go hand in hand. The more cheaply made mass-produced jewelry will often have dull or yellowed rhinestones or even missing stones. Unless you're prepared to fix those yourself, you're best pretty much giving them a miss. If I see obvious wear or scrapes to the metal plating, if beads or, or uh, faux pearls have the surface peeling, again, I give those a miss. If an item has green vertigree, that is, that is something that people often call patina, and it's really more often than not, and not a natural greening like of copper, but it's more damage, actual damage to the plating where moisture has come in contact with the plating. And that vertigree, you can clean it, but it's going to come back. So I try to avoid those sorts of problems. Just because something is old doesn't make it valuable. Better quality jewelry will have prong-set stones rather than glued in, a nice color palette, and just overall better construction. You should invest in a jeweler's loop, So when you're buying in the field, you can get a good close-up look to identify flaws. If you want to look for chips and cracks and breakage or signs of repair, and in the case of necklaces, what is the condition of the string? You don't want to sell someone a piece of uh, beaded jewelry only to have it fall apart the first time they handle it. You want to test any clasps. Uh, any pin locks, any closures to be sure that they work properly. Now, there is a market for broken jewelry, which is often repurposed by crafters. So sometimes I will sell junk lots or jewelry repair lots. In terms of themes, I look for vintage figural jewelry that could have a cross-collectible appeal. There was once a buyer on eBay 
I recognized her as a published author who pounced on any mushroom-themed jewelry. Another buyer really liked painted wooden bangle bracelets. The more elaborate the scene, the better. Uh, and I had another buyer very early on when I was buying the auction lots where he, he collected hat pins as gifts for his wife. Well, his wife was the collector, but he liked to surprise her with very unusual hat pins. And we got to be um, correspondents, really, email back and forth. And he taught me how to look for true vintage hat pins as opposed to modern reproductions. And it was just fun to always find something great that he could add to his wife's collection. If I had to summarize some how-tos for selling jewelry, I would say shop for quality of construction and items in good condition. Buy what appeals to you. If something catches your eye and you just think it's super cute, chances are uh, another buyer will feel the same way. Take the time to research your item and wordsmith your descriptions. Be careful not to keyword spam. This is a common issue on eBay, but if you don't know the designer names, don't guess at them because this is a violation and that can get your items taken down. Be careful not to rely too much on what you're told about an item by some third party, um, especially the person that you might buy it from because their information isn't always correct. You want to examine each piece closely and disclose all flaws and repairs. Learn to take good photographs. This day and age, uh, I think the smartphone really beats any digital camera I've ever had, especially when it comes to taking close-ups. And if you sell jewelry often enough, you'll want to invest in some display pieces. I have a ring holder, an earring holder that accommodates pierced and clip or screw-on earrings, a bracelet form. I also have a mannequin head that I can use for things like earrings and scarves and hats and necklaces. And, you know, buyers sometimes do find it a bit off-putting if you display the jewelry in your own hand or on your hand, especially if your nails aren't manicured, or if you've got hangnails or something, that can be a real, a real turnoff. Avoid that. Use your display pieces. Uh, don't have cluttered backgrounds. Experiment with different colored backgrounds because different colors react differently to various jewelry metals. Some colors might do better with silver jewelry or gold jewelry. Don't have uh, fabrics with hairs or particles on them because that close-up will magnify everything. And I have a lint roller that I use every time I photograph something on a piece of fabric. You want to experiment with lighting. There's plenty of guidance on, on uh, Suzanne's site about various lighting devices you can create. Overall, the better your pictures, the better your jewelry will appeal to your prospective buyer. And package well. That's one of the biggest reasons for returns is broken jewelry and disappointed, disappointed customers. The key is to just ensure that your jewelry parts can't jostle around or knock into each other, that they just can't move at all. And the time that you take to package well will pay off in the end. Thanks. Bye. Hi, this is Sherry, and I'm from beautiful Nova Scotia, Canada. And I just wanted to say thank you to Suzanne for inviting me to chat about jewelry today. I would not really categorize myself as an experienced and extremely knowledgeable jewelry seller, but I will say I consider myself to be comfortable and confident in the jewelry that I post and the sales that I make. I've gained experience and more confidence in myself each time I sell a piece, and I truly believe that you can do it. If I can do it, you can do it. So I started selling jewelry on eBay. It was back in 2009, and it was actually the jewelry that I made myself. I had a jewelry-making business, um, just costume jewelry, and I sold it to local gift shops across Canada, 
and I decided I wanted to expand and try to sell it on eBay, but sadly it did not sell very well on eBay. <laughs> so like most sellers on eBay, I pivoted and I started selling other items. And I did that for a while and then life happened and I stopped for several years. And then fast forward to 2021 when I started selling on eBay again, I decided I'll give jewelry a try. I mean, I had a background in jewelry. I understood the components of jewelry. So how hard can it be? But this time it was not my own jewelry and I was kind of intimidated at first, to be honest. I thought, I really don't know a lot about jewelry. What if I don't describe it accurately? What if I undersell it and it's real gold, but I don't think it's real gold. But finally, I just decided, you know what? I'm just going to educate myself and I'm going to take the plunge. So that's what I did. I first started watching a lady named Sandra on YouTube. Her channel is called The Funky Pickle Thrifter. I learned so much about costume and fine jewelry. I learned common names for describing jewelry, popular brands, what kind of markings to look for in fine jewelry, and how to test jewelry. And after I watched videos for a couple of weeks, I would say, I noticed I started to recognize these names in the thrift stores. I would just hear these names over and over on the videos, and eventually they just kind of clicked. They just stuck in my brain. So I can't recommend her videos enough. It's like a master class in jewelry. It's Sandra from the Funky Pickle Thrifter. One thing I always do in the thrift store though is turn over the piece of jewelry and look for any kind of markings on the back. I don't use my jewelry loop in the store, but I, I do use that at home. But if I'm in the store and I can't make out the name, I just pull out my camera and on my phone I zoom in. But regardless of what it says, if the price is right and there's some kind of marking on the back, I will definitely buy it. So shortly after watching all of those videos, I decided I need to join a Facebook group of people who are experts. So I joined a group called Texas Gals Jewelry Lovers. And this is a group that discusses jewelry for resale. So if you have a piece and you're not sure what it's made of um, or what keywords to use or the brand, or how to describe it, you can just post it and the other resellers will help you. They're highly educated and they are excellent and very very helpful so that's another great group it's called texas gals jewelry lovers an example is a cameo i found in a jewelry lot that cost me pennies it looked different to me it didn't look like your regular cameo that had the lady's head on it it was a figure of a lady and she had a bucket and she was next to a well and this is really really tiny I found out the name was called Rebecca at the Well, and this is a very popular cameo in the sayings from the Bible. And I ended up selling this teeny tiny cameo that I paid pennies for, for $50. I was really surprised. I mean, it had no markings on the back, and I probably would have thrown it out had I not known to just kind of post it and get some information from that group. So after that experience, I started looking for more jewelry. I mean, I caught the bug. <laughs> so I looked for jewelry in the thrift stores, but I also decided to buy jewelry lots off of eBay. Many times I was able to buy huge lots and it would work out to be like one to $2 per item. There were always several items that had markings on the back, such as Trafari, Sarah Coventry, Napier, Avon, Coro, Weiss, many, many, many more. So I started to get a feel for the quality and the look of these pieces once I held them in my hands. It was a great way to get started. You have to be careful though. Sometimes the lots are not great and you're lucky to break even. So to this day, I actually prefer to buy my jewelry at the local thrift store because I can get the best deals there, I find. Um, one thing I want to mention is selling jewelry is absolutely perfect for someone like me. I have a tiny house and I have very limited space for inventory and shipping from Canada can be very expensive if I'm selling heavy bulky items. So jewelry is lightweight and very easy to ship much much easier than the breakables I often find to resell and to this day I have never had one single return on any of the jewelry I sold. I always describe it very well, take great pictures and I get positive feedback. My best sale, or should I say sales to date, came from a jewelry lot that I purchased off of Kijiji, which is very similar to what you call Craigslist in the US. 
So all of the jewelry was sterling silver. It was all marked. It was absolutely beautiful in pristine condition. I think I purchased about 10 pieces of jewelry for $40 total. And that included a really nice school ring and some earrings and necklaces and bracelets. So I sold most of the items between the $50 to $100 range per item. So my $40 investment made me over $600. So that's not too shabby. (laughs) I was very thrilled with that. Another item I found at the thrift store was a sweet tiny brooch with Austria marked on the back. It looked like two apples joined together by the stems and leaves. The stems and leaves were gold tone and the stones in the apple were a pale mint green and it was like a frosted glass. It was so pretty, but I didn't think it was anything super special. So I went home and I used my Google Lens to find more. Google Lens is definitely my go-to when I have a hard time describing in words on eBay to find the sold comps. So much to my surprise, these little tiny little brooches sold between the $40 to $100 range. And I ended up listing this particular one, which wasn't the most popular color. The I think like the dark sort of cherry color was the most popular one. But this one sold for $50 within a few days and I paid 50 cents for it. So I was absolutely thrilled with that sale. So what stood out to me about that pin is a few things. Number one, it was marked on the back. It had Austria on the back, so it had a marking. Number two, the quality looked and felt nice. When I held it in my hands, I thought this is a really nice brooch. And number three, it was a nice subject matter and pretty colors. It takes time, it takes experience, but soon you can determine what is basically junk or cheap jewelry and what is expensive or quality jewelry. And that's what you're looking for. I also wanted to mention that not all jewelry has to have sterling silver or gold markings on it. There are many pieces of jewelry that are designer made, but they are costume jewelry. Trafari and Crown Trafari are excellent examples of this. Very sought after jewelry goes for high dollars. So you don't need to test all of your jewelry if you have a high end costume costume jewelry item. The name alone will sell the piece. However, if you decide to get into selling fine jewelry, such as silver and gold and diamonds, etc., you can certainly do that, but you'll need the proper tools to test your items. This is an investment for sure, but I truly believe it will pay off. There are testing kits for silver and gold. There is a specific machine to test for gemstones as well. I'm not quite at that level yet, but I hope to be there someday. If you find a piece that you truly believe to be worthy of a lot of money, you can always go to your local jewelry store and get an appraisal. And this is something that you can use in your listing as well to give it authenticity. Another thing to think about is how are you taking your pictures of your jewelry? I use an app called Pixel Cut, which removes the background. If you look on eBay at the best jewelry photos, they have white backgrounds or black backgrounds, depending on the color of your jewelry. So obviously, if you have a piece of jewelry that has a white stone in it, you're going to want the black background and maybe something that has, you know, a deep colored Uh, stone in it, you're going to want the white background. You need to keep it simple. The jewelry has to shine figuratively and literally. It has to shine. If you clutter the background, it takes away from the jewelry you're trying to sell. So I'll wrap this up now, but the last thing I wanted to mention is animals and themed sell too. I find leopards, lions, cougars, they're all very popular, as well as butterflies and dragonflies. Vintage brooches, flower brooches, very popular. 80s, funky earrings, very popular. Basically anything that is different and unique and especially vintage items are very collectible. So I wanted to end this by saying, please do not feel intimidated by selling jewelry. I can't say that enough. I remember a comment from Wendy Kruger on one of my posts in Suzanne's group. She complimented me for selling a piece of jewelry and also she encouraged me to continue doing it. I don't know if Wendy is listening today. I certainly hope she is, but I really took that to heart and I believed I could do it after she said that. And I believe you can too, like anything we sell on eBay. It just takes time, trial and error, experience and education, but the payoff can be absolutely amazing. So I hope you give it a try. Bye for now. 
Hi, I'm Cheryl from Oregon. I've been reselling on eBay since 2018, and my favorite thing to flip is vintage costume jewelry. I am so pleased to be part of Suzanne's Jewelry Edition podcast and share some of what I've learned in the last five years. Honestly, I got into selling jewelry because it's been a special interest of mine for as long as I can remember. I mean, I've always loved jewelry. As a kid, I loved to look through my mother's and grandmother's jewelry boxes. My mom also sold Avon for a time in the early 80s, and my sister and I would page through those little catalogs for hours. Um, After college, I worked in advertising for a discount retailer, and my job was to write the catalog copy for the jewelry. And this is where I learned more about jewelry materials, construction, types of gemstones, and such. And then in 2018, I was looking to change careers, really wanted to work for myself. I had a friend who made extra money by selling vintage men's clothing on Etsy. And that's when I started diving into the world of reselling, and jewelry felt like a natural place for me to start. I specialize in vintage costume jewelry. I really love jewelry from the 1950s and 60s, the kind worn by characters in Mad Men and the marvelous Mrs. Maisel, if you watch those shows. I also have a fondness for vintage plastic jewelry, including early plastics such as celluloid and bakelite, and more modern plastics. Plastic jewelry is often overlooked and undervalued, so I can usually find it quite cheaply and sell it for a really nice profit. Some costume jewelry brands that consistently sell well for me are 1928 brand, Joan Rivers, Chico's, Whiting & Davis, and museum reproduction jewelry from the Metropolitan Museum of Art. These brands in particular, I think they sell well uh, because of quality, limited availability, and the particular style. Um, Another trend to be aware of now for jewelry sellers is Barbie core. Because of the success of the new Barbie movie, I saw the movie recently and the whole time I was making mental notes about the jewelry I needed to get home and list ASAP. Uh, Think pink, yellow, um, plastic baubles, uh, nautical theme. If you haven't seen the movie, you can just Google... um, jewelry from the Barbie movie and see images of some of the fantastic pieces that Margot Robbie wore in that movie and get an idea of what people are going to be looking for for Halloween costumes and just because they're fans of the movie and they like the style. When I'm looking at jewelry at the flea market, for example, I start by looking for things that are unusual, figural, such as animal jewelry, flower jewelry, and so forth, and jewelry that feels well-made. Older rhinestone jewelry will have prong-set rhinestones rather than glued-in rhinestones. Uh, This is a detail that vintage jewelry collectors will look for. So I look for this kind of thing. I also look at the clasps. The type of clasp used on a brooch, a necklace, a bracelet can be a big clue as to when the piece was made. Um, The style of Hallmark can also be a clue. Brands like Trifari, Monet, and Coro have changed their hallmark over the years, so you can tell the age of the piece based on that. Uh, Also, it's good to know that not all vintage is desirable. Uh, With the exception of some designer collaborations like the Elizabeth Taylor collection, vintage Avon jewelry is something I tend to pass on. The same with Sarah Coventry. The quality isn't great. There's a lot of it out there, and you aren't likely to get a great return. It's always so fun when you get a good sale. Um, I source a lot of my jewelry at our local flea market, and there's a vendor there who sells costume jewelry for 75 cents a piece. And I find so many great things there. Um, Some sales that come to mind, I had a vintage-ish, like late 90s YSL, uh, Yves Saint Laurent, Um, necklace that I got at the flea market for 75 cents and I sold it for $149 plus shipping. Um, I also found a Christian Dior logo charm ring 
Um, that was in a jewelry lot that I bought on eBay, actually. So my cost for that was about a dollar, dollar twenty-five, and I did pay to have it authenticated, um, but it sold for a hundred dollars. And I also had a gorgeous uh, Juliana vintage brooch that I got at the flea market for, I think I paid $10 for it. And it sold for, I couldn't find it in my sold history, but I think it sold for about $100, somewhere around in there. It was a really large brooch with extremely sparkly rhinestones. So it's always so much fun when you get to buy it for a great price and, and sell it for, for such a profit. That's rare, though. Um, you know, most of my pieces, I would say, sell in the more like $20 range, $20, $30. Um, those are the bread and butter pieces. As far as learning about selling jewelry, some of my favorite resources are on YouTube. Uh, there's a channel called uh, Texas Gal Treasures. Uh, the woman's name is Margaret, and she has been on YouTube for a long time. She does primarily sell jewelry, knows a lot about jewelry. So you can dig into her archives and videos and find lots and lots of good information. Um, there's also a Facebook group as a companion to the YouTube channel called Texas Gals Jewelry Lovers. And there are some really helpful people in that group. And they also have a lot of uh, files and resources with um, how to identify various makers, marks, etc. It's been an invaluable community for me. Another great website is um, for identifying Juliana jewelry, which is a really great high quality rhinestone jewelry from the mid-century. Uh, called isitjulianajewelry.com. They have a database of verified pieces because most of the jewelry from this maker is not signed. Um, Costumejewelrycollectors.com is great for identifying hallmarks. And also just there's a website called Justia, J-U-S-T-I-A, uh, just a trademark search site. So sometimes you can just go there and type in something like, you know, jewelry hallmark and put in like what you know about it and it might come up uh, and help you identify that maker. I use that one for more contemporary marks because I'm more versed in the vintage jewelry and the newer stuff. I'm not always as up on the makers. So those are some of my favorites. I agree that jewelry does tend to be a low return category. Um, I think if you describe your item well and have good pictures, it should be a low return category. In the last five years, I think I've had maybe two things returned. One was because the buyer, the necklace fit her a little shorter than she wanted and she sent it back. And the other was something had broken in transit and I was able to repair it and, and resell it. But that those are the only ones that come to mind. But I think you do have to have clear pictures and give all the details. Um, and there's a lot to learn in jewelry. So that, that can be intimidating. Um, when I've personally had to return jewelry, it's because something was misrepresented. They may maybe said it was silver when it wasn't, or it had stones and it was plastic. So you do want to make sure you know what you're selling if you're in the jewelry category. Buying lots, yes, I've done it. It can be very addicting. So I would say... Uh, approach this with caution, especially if you're a newbie, because you can quickly become overwhelmed with tons and tons of jewelry that you don't know what to do with. Um, I have had decent luck with shopgoodwill.com. Lately, it seems like the prices and the shipping have gotten so high that my cost per piece isn't really going to be that great of a deal. There's also another Goodwill uh, site called goodwillbluebox.com, and they have five-pound boxes of kind of a mix of broken jewelry and jewelry that's wearable, and they sell them. They go live on Fridays at a certain time, and they they tend to sell out really quickly, so there's kind of a fun aspect of trying to get one. And they used to be pretty good, but lately they've raised the price, and I got some a month or so ago. I bought two 
they were just, it was junk, really, really bad. So if you don't make jewelry or know how to repurpose jewelry, um, you know, I would approach those things with caution. Maybe um, don't spend more than you're willing to lose Could you? because you could just get a box of junk. Um, but it is fun when you find a treasure. Um, I found an 18 karat gold bracelet in one of those boxes one time, and that was the thrill of my life. Um, but that only happened one time. More often than not, it's going to be a bunch of cheap junk that you don't really have a way to resell. Honestly, I could talk about jewelry for hours and hours. Um, but if you are thinking about getting into the jewelry category on eBay, I really think it can be an overwhelming category. So if you personally like jewelry and have a favorite style, maybe start with that or start with one thing. Maybe it's one brand or one style that you're going to try to find next time you're sourcing um, and look it up while you're there and see if you can find any treasures. Um, if you're new, you know, it, it can be overwhelming to jump into identifying gemstones and knowing how to test silver and gold and those kind of things. And that's why I like costume jewelry, because it's kind of a low risk um, when you can find things for a dollar or two and just learn about them. And you're not, you know, putting out a ton of money um, on something that might not end up being a very good uh, item for resale. Um, but I would say go slow. I mean, it really can be overwhelming. And for as someone who has obsessed about jewelry since I was a child, I'm still learning th new things all of the time. Um, I don't try to follow trends very closely. I just really focus on what I know and things that are unusual, weird cells. Suzanne said it many times in her video. That's true for jewelry too. Look for really weird things. Um, I try not to buy things that are missing stones or have broken parts because I don't want it sitting in my death pile, you know, waiting for me to get around to being able to repair it, find the right stone, etc. So, um, you know, I would, if you're just starting out, I would try to find a place where you can go to a garage sale or a flea market where you can touch things, look at things, buy things individually, um, rather than buying a giant lot and feeling overwhelmed with pounds and pounds of jewelry that you need to research and sort and clean and <laughs> price, you know, start small, just two or three pieces and see where it takes you. Thank you so much, ladies, for taking the time to share your knowledge. I personally found this information very helpful and know the listeners will too. On to today's trivia question. Since we are all now in jewelry mode, what is the Hope Diamond and how much is it worth? Here's some time to think it over. The Hope Diamond is a 45.52 carat diamond extracted in the 17th century from the Kalur mine in Guntur, India. It is blue in color due to trace amounts of boron. The Hope Diamond is thought to be cursed as it was stolen from a Sita idol in India. The original thief was torn to pieces by dogs and everyone else who has been involved with the diamond met horrible deaths and bad luck. The Hope Diamond is worth $350 million today and is displayed in the Natural History Museum of the Smithsonian. And I remember seeing it when I was on a field trip in the seventh grade, so like 1980. All of the safety patrols went on a field trip to Washington, D.C. We rode the Amtrak train from 
downtown Atlanta to DC and toured all kinds of things and the Smithsonian was one of them. So yes, it's been a long time since I've been to the Smithsonian, but even at that age I found it fascinating and did get to see the Hope Diamond in the glass case. So yes, delving back into some very distant memories there. All right, next week, my guest is Bethany, who has been an eBay friend and in my Facebook group since 2014. Bethany is a busy nurse, mom, military wife, and uses many helpful life hacks to get everything done. So make sure to tune in next week. And thank you, listeners, for returning to this podcast each week. I appreciate each and every one of you. Make it a great week on eBay, and I'll talk to you next time. Bye, everybody.